All right, well, we have first world problems. The AC works too good here, right? Um, so uh, we want to be grateful for that because you can always add, put stuff on, but if it's too hot, you can only take so much off. So anyways, uh, um, uh, boy, it just works too well. Anyways, uh, just grateful to be here with you all. And um, I know it's a special day um, as we think about our own moms who means so much to us, um, all of us. And some of us still have our mothers, some of us have lost our moms. And so it's a special day, but we want to um, remember um, God's goodness and all that and um, how God has given us our moms. And you know, it really is appropriate that today we look at, um, happen to be on uh, Philippians chapter two. The, whole, the most wonderful song here, as some have said, it was a song that was um, used in the church describing the humility of Christ. And as you think about the concept of humility, the thought of humility, I'm sure for many of us, if not all of us, probably the person that comes to mind is our moms. Sacrifice, giving, you know, taking care of us. And uh, so I think it ties in on this very significant day in so many ways. You know, but as I get ready, as I was getting ready for this message, um, I was looking forward to it. This is a passage that many of us know so well, have read and studied over the years if you've been in the church. But it talks about, we as a church, he's talking to the church in Philippi, and he says, be humble. Like, be of the same mind, be humble. And he tells us what, what our mind should be like. And in verse 2, this idea of the mind is mentioned twice um, having the same mind, being of one mind. Verse 5 tells us that, you know, to have this mind among you. And so to be humble in this way is so important, that all of us would really be humble. Um, and it is not easy to do because, you know, the moment we um, think we've arrived, we obviously haven't, and so on and so forth. You know, uh, um, last year I spent a semester at Biola, um, at this, uh, it's called the Center for Christian Thought, and what, they, what the program is is they gather a handful of scholars from all over the country, a handful of Biola scholars, and one pastor, and you discuss a topic. Um, and we did love, and, but this year, um, they're studying humility. And I was talking to the director this week, catching up with him, and I was like, what is that like? Because everyone, all these scholars are bringing in their papers, and they're arguing for their perspective on humility. And there are disagreements, obviously. And how do you nicely, you know, humbly say, I'm right and you're wrong, right? I mean, it was difficult when we were talking about love because everyone now had to be loving as we were trying to define what love looks like, you know, and should you have guns and should you not, and what does this look like? And we're talking about many topics. Now you're talking about humility. It's very, it's a slippery slope. What does that look like? What does humility look like for us? You know, um, you get in our set, uh, section here in verse 1. It starts by saying, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit with you, and it's basically saying, if he is your Lord, you have to be humble just by definition. So look at verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he's saying, if you have any encouragement in Christ, any participation in the Spirit. So uh, if you are a follower of Christ, if the Holy Spirit is guiding you, 
If you are a Christian, you have to be humble. You have to be united. This is really the, the bedrock, the foundation of the church is this quality of humility. And if you are a Christian, be humble, he says. Uh, it's interesting, you know, in verse 1 it says, if, therefore, uh, you have any encouragement. You know, the word if is not a, saying either do you have it or not, but it's the idea of like, we could translate it as since. Since you have it. Since you are a Christian, this is how you ought to live. This is how you ought to be. Um, and it's such an important thought. You know, it is G.K. Chesterton who once said this. If I had only one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. Because it, if that is now the basis and everything else is popping up from that, right, instead of picking this out, let's just be humble. Right? And so today in our text, um, we're going to be looking at these commands, right? To fight against pride, uh, to elevate humility, to think of others, and then why Christ himself is our motivation to do this, right? First of all, we're told to have a Christian mindset uh, is to be opposed to pride. We have to be against pride. Any sense of pride we have, we ought to be fighting. We have to fight against. Um, that if you have something that you are proud of, it is given to you by God. Anything worth. And there are people that are proud of their looks. They're proud of their youth. They're proud of their age. They're proud of their stature. They're proud of how tall they are or how strong they are or how their legs look or how they're... I mean, there are people that are proud of those things and you think about it. They're all given by God. And if you are proud of your spiritual status, you have nothing to be proud of because we were all sinners. Saved by God. And so you think about it, all your ability, the ability to think, and your strength and health, and everything that we think, I am so proud of. Really, we had nothing to do with. God has given it to us. And so with that in mind, we have to be opposed to pride. Um, it is C.S. Lewis who says this so well in mere Christianity. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost Evil is pride. So he lists all these unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And so pride is now the garden. It's the dirt, and things will grow out of it. And the weeds will now come because of pride. And so we have to fight against pride. We think, um, sometimes we have a false notion that humility uh, means that I am uh, not ambitious, or I don't work hard, or I don't have passion. And we think of those things. But the idea of humility and pride, it, pride doesn't mean that I can't work hard, doesn't mean that I can't excel. It's the way I view myself. You know, um, in 2001, there was a book that was written that uh, was very popular, right? It was written by Collins named Good to Great, and so many leaders have read this, so many even church leaders started adopting this, and they were reading this idea 
of what made companies that were good into great companies? What were some of the factors, right? And his argument was that good is the greatest enemy of great because you just sat, you are satisfied with a, you know, a B average instead of the A plus and so on. But the two qualities of the leaders of these organizations he found, number one was this, that they are passionate people. They're driven people. You know, they're the first one, they're the last one out. Um, they're dreaming and they're working hard. And so we say, oh, that is great. We know that. But the thing that made this book so special was the second quality that he pointed out of these great companies was that the leaders were very humble, normal people. And this is what uh, uh, you know, he says about these leaders, which we assume should be charismatic and great communicators and all this and that. But no, what he says about these leaders is that they were humble, um, that they were modest. And I just quote a little bit. He says, they never aspired to be put on a pedestal and become unreachable icons. They were seemingly ordinary people quietly producing extraordinary results. And the people who worked under these extraordinary leaders were now asked to describe their leaders. What are they like? And this is what he said. That the, This is what some of the uh, comments were of the people who worked under these extraordinary leaders. Quiet, humble, modest, reserved, almost shy, gracious, mild-mannered, self-effacing. Um, didn't you know, believe in his own clippings and so on. You get a picture of someone who is very humble. And so what we learn is you can work hard and you can find success. But really the key to that is to fight against personal pride. And that is so, so important. Um, you know, the Christian's mindset has to fight against pride. And when Satan sits on your shoulder and saying, you deserve better than this. They should have recognized you for this. You know, you're smarter than them. And you hear that. And we hear that all the time. And I hear that all the time. And we have to fight it. We have to kill it. You know, you ever meet, all of us at one point or another have met someone important, a celebrity, right? Or um, the CEO, the founder of something, or a singer or an athlete. And what impresses us all when you get to talk to them? What, you, what impresses you is their humility. You ever meet someone famous and you're like, wow, they're so down to earth, right? That's, you hear that often. I remember back in the day, I had a chance, um, I had a friend who worked for the Lakers and he would give me tickets to the, to almost every home game because he was in charge of the halftime show and he'd call me, you want to come? And, um, and so I, I went to a bunch of games. So it's spoiled for me now. Like if I had to sit, sit like 200 section, it's like, oh, nosebleed. Like, because he used to give me like almost courtside. And I, I remember once I went during the shoot around an hour before or so and Kurt Rambis was there and the guys were there and Shaq was sitting here. And this is when he was dominant and, you know, I, I, I was like, it was just kind of me and him in this one area. So I, you know, we're the same age. I'm a few months older than him. And other than that, we have nothing else in common. But um, <laughs> so I went to go and I just went up and talked to him. And I tapped him on the shoulder. He was sitting down and we were almost eye to eye. He was sitting down. <laughs> and he was bigger and bigger as I got closer. And then I, I go, hey, hey, Shaq, hey. Hey, man. Uh, you know, and what do you say, right? You're a grown man at that point. It's a little embarrassing. I'm like, hey, have a good game, man. Like, <laughs> 
follow through, right? Follow, make a free throw. Yeah. I didn't say that, but. Um, and then he just started talking to me. And he was shaking my hand, and my hand felt like a two-year-old baby girl's hand. It was so small, and I felt so insignificant. I was shaking his gigantic hand, and he was talking to me, and to be honest, I didn't understand a word he was saying. <laughs> you know, he was saying something. He might have been saying, get out of my face, you know, who are you? But he was just talking to me, and we were just talking and chatting. And, uh, and then you walk away going, wow, he's so down to earth. So down to earth. And I was so impressed. And I remember um, a few games later, my friend gave me tickets again, and I went to the home game. And right, I was on about the fifth row, and in the first row, I saw Barry Bonds. I was like, that's Barry Bonds, right? I go, hey, you know, I, I, celebrities like me. I should say hi to Barry. I, I give fair treatment. I said hi to Shaq. I say, hey, Barry, good to see you, Barry. Hey, Barry, hey, hey. And he looks at me and then he ignores me. And I was like, hey, Barry, Barry, Barry. And he's ignoring me. Like, I hate the Giants, you know? And I, you know, um, and I, it's like, oh, who does he think he is? And we've all been there. We've all met both types of people. And it, it, we get impressed by someone that's, wow, they're driven, they're good at what they do, they work hard. But man, when you talk to them, they're down to earth. They don't think they are more important than you. They don't think that they ought to only be heard and not listen to you. They're down to earth, and that's the picture. We have to fight against personal pride. And I have to battle that daily. We have to battle that daily. Husbands and wives, don't we battle that daily? You know, I have to fight against that. And I think it is so important. The Christian mindset, secondly, is now fighting for humility. We have to be filled with humility. It tells us here in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, right, the second part, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So on the first part, when it comes to pride, do nothing, zero, do nothing out of selfish ambition, your pride. Don't do anything, but when it comes to humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And this is so difficult to do. Count others more significant than yourselves. That means I have to listen to someone. That means I have to now talk to someone. Some of you guys are going to go to work uh, maybe tomorrow, and there'll be someone who's entry level and, you know, that's way below you. And, uh, but maybe you just sit down and listen and talk to them. What is it like for this person? What is it like for this person? And what are they going through? Consider them more significant than yourselves. And so our humility, thinking less of ourselves, um, is a discipline we have to now fight for. It is so, so important. Humility leads to thinking about others, right? That's this, this part of uh, this Christian mindset. The Christians are constantly thinking about others. We're always thinking about how can I help someone? How can I support someone? How can I get my life involved in doing these things? Whether it's the missions or a lot of, so many of our church people were, you know, just giving so generously to these six, eight initiative partners and our love our neighbors. And, you know, like that is, it's not like we're special. That is the normal thing that the Christian community does. We're thinking outside of ourselves. And even when we come to church, we always ought to be thinking, 
what is something I could contribute? What is something I can give to someone? How can I go encourage someone today? That's why coming to church is important. Not what am I going to get out of this? Am I going to learn something new? No, I didn't learn anything new. I knew all that. I knew Philippians too. Oh, I, I've studied. It's not what am I going to get out of this, but we come to this community saying, what can I give in this way? Why are there teachers? Why are some of your spouses in there teaching kids that are not their kids, right? Why are they in there? Why are there people in here teaching our youth group that's not their kids? Yeah, your kids are special. Our kids are special, but they're not that special, right? I mean, they're, they're, the, the, the leaders are special, right? Um, why are they doing that? We have to come into a setting, not to say, am I need, am I, are my needs being met? But how can I be a part of this community? How can I contribute to this body of believers? I think it's so important. So we have to be thinking of others. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. What it tells us here is that he's not saying you have to now give away everything and not take care of yourself. No, he says, yeah, take care of yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests. It's fine. You should work. You should save. You should spend for yourself. You should save it for yourself. You should take care of your family. Those are all important. But on top of that, this is what makes Christianity distinct. You ought to also consider the interest of others. I remember hearing uh, a while back Andy Stanley give a sermon about how to handle our money, and he summed it up in such a simple way, and I borrow it from him regularly. He says, when you get paid, when you get your check, whatever it is, the, the, this is the order. You should give, save, and live off the rest. And I love that. He says, you should give, give your offerings, be generous, help someone with your money, save some, save it for your family, save it for your retirement. You should be saving money, and then you live off the rest. Our world today is I spend it all on me, and I'm going to spend more than I have, and then now I'm stuck. And somehow we have to get in that routine, and those who are in that routine find much joy and not stress when it comes to money. I give, I save, and I live off the rest. And it is so important in this way. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Um, this is something we have to champion in our families, in our community. How can I raise a child? Those of you who are moms, how can I raise a child that's going to grow up in this way? Not just be narcissistic, me, 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 me. But how can I raise a child? How can I raise? And I think about this with my daughters all the time. How can I raise them in this life in Orange County where they're going to grow up and understand this? When it's so easy for them. You know, on this Mother's Day, I wanted to highlight one mom. Um, it's the mother of John Newton. Uh, John Newton, as you know, um, was the famous hymn writer who wrote the most famous hymn, Amazing Grace, and his mother, Elizabeth, was a very devout Christian lady. And Elizabeth um, would always teach him the gospel lessons, and the biographers always mention his mom. But what happened is she had uh, tuberculosis, and she ends up passing away at a very early age, and uh, Newton, John Newton, was only seven when his mother died. He goes wayward. 
you know, and his life leads him to going to working at a plantation in Africa, being mistreated, and now handling slaves and being on the ship, uh, bringing slaves back and forth, uh, trading slaves. And then the grace of God hits him at this point. He comes to realization. And he writes that wonderful psalm, Amazing Grace. What a wretch he was. And not only that, he takes all these popular bar theme songs that the general audience uh, population would sing, and he would put Christian lyrics into it so people would learn theology. And so a lot, sometimes you read, a, if you're from a traditional church um, and you're, you're singing a hymn, the, the, the music's the same, but the words are different because that's what they would do so that it was easy to learn. And uh, as he comes to faith, everyone um, will point to the one person that made him uh, like this, and it was the foundation that his mother Elizabeth laid on him, even till age seven. And uh, I just want to read a, a little quote here from one of the biographers. Uh, Jonathan Aiken says this, that the spiritual lessons the boy had learned at his mother's knee were never forgotten. They became the foundation of Newton's eventual conversion and Christian commitment. We cannot understand this great man apart from his godly mother. And so this is the impact. He went wayward. I'm sure it, was, it had to do with the wounds of missing his mom or whatever it was. But when he comes to faith, that was the foundation that she laid. And now what does he do? He champions the cause. He fights and he supports William Wilberforce for now the slaves, that they should be set free. And he writes these letters and he supports them in his day. He gives his life for others. And so I want to encourage us to keep that in mind. How does this happen? And this is the last point, probably the most important point. This isn't a motivational talk about, hey, you know, uh, figure it out yourself because our flesh is so strong and we are so weak. But how can we become humble people? How can we not become so easily offended and hurt in our lives? It's by looking to Christ. And this song here, right, in verse 5 and on, just have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What we see here, and I want just to stay with me on this, is the significance of the deity of Christ. For us to have a high view of Christ is so important. Theology matters. And so church isn't simply to come and feel something that would make me feel good or give me a few tips on how to do life better, but it's to come and see the cross and see Jesus and to have a high perspective of him. You see, there's been heresies uh, throughout the centuries, and these heresies are still now uh, in different forms, but they're still around today in cults and different groups. And what they want to do is somehow lower who Christ is. And by lowering who he is, it matters, and it changes the story, right? Um, so going back to meeting Shaquille O'Neal, it, wow, it's a story because he was Shaquille O'Neal. If he was my friend that liked to play basketball, and I said, hey, you know, and I talked to him, have a good game, I'm not even going to remember that. It was because of his status. Now, when we go to Christ, if our perspective of Christ is a little lower, 
If we raise his humanity and just say he's only human, or we lower his deity, he wasn't really God, he was a God, he was a demigod, he was a created God, he was one of many gods. And if we, under, we try to put him in that category, it takes the one and only God, the Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, it takes the only God and it now lowers his value. And so when we hear the message, he humbled himself, we say, well, yeah, he came down a little bit. No, he didn't just come down a little bit. It was an infinite humility. Some of the heresies that are out there, and we have to be very uh, careful on this, right? Uh, one is called docetism. Docetism, uh, it, it's the idea, and this is the Definition, I think we might have a definition of this. Docetism, God could not be associated with matter and that God being perfect, infinite, could not suffer. Therefore, God, as the word, could not have been become flesh. So what is this saying is, docetism is saying, well, God, and this is what the Gnostics believed, God was so perfect, he couldn't really have been human. So what it says is, he didn't really humble himself down to the form of a man. He just kind of appeared to look like a man. He, he changed his form. He kind of appeared, but he was still God. So what that does to now Jesus Christ is it takes away his actual humility and the power in this passage. He didn't really come down that much. He didn't really humble himself that much. He was still God. We believe, yeah, he's 100% God, 100% man in his nature. But we say, boy, he didn't come down that much. He just appeared like it. He didn't really feel what he, we would have felt. Another way we look at this is the other way. We elevate the, the humanity of Christ. And a lot of uh, cults and different groups will talk about him. Oh, he was just a regular man. And then somehow now God had adopted him or blessed him and made him special, a special man, a superman, we could say. Uh, adoptionism is one of them. Adoptionism says this. Jesus was not really God, but a man who received special graces, received the divine status at his baptism. We do this with all sorts of normal human beings. We do this with the Pope, the Dalai Lama. These are people we say, well, they're just humans, but boy, there's something special. And we give them titles like holiness and so on. And we put Jesus in their category. But Jesus wasn't just a human that received some kinds of grace. Jesus was almighty creator God. You read Colossians 1. You read the discussion that happened in the beginning of Genesis. Let us make man in our image. The Father, Son, Spirit. Now, creating. And you say, so it's not just a, a superhuman or a, an extra good person that humbled himself. No. It was God. Last heresy I want to highlight. Modalism. Modalism says this, God would manifest himself as the Father, the Son, and as the Holy Spirit whenever elected. The Trinity in three modes. So in the Old Testament, was he was looked like the Father. And then when the New Testament came, he changed modes. And he, he kind of changed outfits, we could say. And then he became the Son. And then in the uh, New Church era, in, in, in Acts 2 and on, he changed forms and became like a uh, the Holy Spirit. So it's like a picture of a transformer, you know, the cartoon. You know, it's Optimus Prime was the truck, but he became now the, the truck that's standing up. You know, he became a, a person, you know, and, and it's changing forms. And it's more than that, right? Because it's saying, well, there is no, nothing that distinguishes him. And so we have to have a high perspective of who Christ is. And once, and that takes a lifetime for us to grasp that. And that ought to shock us every so often, if not every day. Oh my gosh, you mean Jesus died 
Jesus came in the form of a man. He humbled himself. The king of kings humbled himself in this way. And he came and he became a man and he, he even died this death. And he did it for me. How can we have any pride? There is not one leg to stand on when we think about what he's done for us. May our minds be filled with the humility of Christ and let that live out as we fight against ignorant, ignorant pride and as we strive to be humble like him. So much to work on. We cannot live long enough here on earth to grasp all of this, could we? With that thought, let's pray. God, um, we have so many confessions to make. Lord God, the, the depths of our minds and our hearts are filled with um, so many um, complicated um, things that we are proud about. And God, it manifests itself in, in our complaining and our lack of um, graciousness uh, and selfishness and um, materialism, all these things, God, it, it, it's the fruit of this pride. And we want to kill that, and we want to have a humble life. And Lord Jesus, we look to you today. We think about you today. And we are humbled because of you. May that gospel message, Lord, um, change us every day, God. That is our prayer. We cannot do it on our own. When we look to you, we are humbled. When we look to you at our feet, washing our feet, God, um, we are just humbled. We thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.